2 Corinthians chapter number 1, we've been working for you who are guests tonight, we've been working our way through, we've, on Wednesday nights we've gone through 1 Corinthians and now we're going, working our way through 2 Corinthians and just uh, verse by verse just trying to touch on some things and some learning some things from the Lord and, and uh, some issues of life and just day-to-day living and so that's where we've been and tonight we continue that study. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I had full intention of working our way from about 15, verse 15 to 24, but uh, last week uh, we spent some time out of verse number 12. If you'll notice verse number 12 of 2 Corinthians 1, for our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience. Uh, Of course, the Apostle Paul, as we'll look at this and as the days go forward, the Apostle Paul is addressing those who have come Uh, and made accusation against him. He planted this church there. He spent 18 months at Corinth planting this church. And now he's gone on. And and yet those false teachers come in, and now they start to undermine the ministry. Some of you missionaries, I dare say, would understand what it is to, to leave your place of ministry and then have the thought that someone's going to come in and undermine what you have begun. And I'm sure many of you have probably faced those kinds of things. Certainly that's what happened to the Apostle Paul, those who have come in and to try to undermine his authority, undermine what has been established. And much of Second Corinthians is dealing with Paul's addressing those accusations that have been brought against him. And so, as Paul mentions out of verse number 12, uh, for our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience. Paul had a clear conscience. And I, we mentioned things last week, but tonight, I, 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 as I say, I had already worked on next this tonight and wanted to move on, but after last week, and I finished preaching the message of last week, I just didn't feel like that I was completed, and I just felt like I needed to come back and make some additions and add some things with regards to the conscience and how God works through this and how the conscience uh, so can be a blessing. It can also be a difficulty in our lives if, it's not, uh, if we're not careful, depending on who we allow to have control of our conscience. So Paul is addressing these accusations, and he says, basically, look, my conscience is clear. Uh, It's wonderful to have a clear conscience before the Lord, is it not? My conscience is clear. I have a testimony of a clear conscience. And again, I want to call our attention. I'll just make mention of some things that we mentioned last week with regards to, I felt, were helpful definitions describing what the conscience is. Kind of a hard thing to put your hand around, to get your mind around. What exactly is the conscience? Well, one dictionary, one Bible dictionary says... It's the soul distinguishing between what is morally good and bad, prompting to do the former and shun the latter, condemning the one and commending the other. And so I think that's a fair definition. It helps us understand. It's something that God has placed within each and every individual that helps us know good from 
bad, right from wrong. Uh, I think it's very clear that even in the youngest of ages, if you go to the nursery, uh, although those consciences may not be there, when, those, when Johnny hits little Susie over the head with a, uh, with a, a, a toy truck, he knows that he's done wrong. And, uh, and so he's going to run if you come after him about all of that too. Why? Because the conscience has alerted him to that fact. So certainly that is true. Webster says that the conscience, he calls it the courtroom of conscience. The courtroom of the conscience. He says it's the internal or self-knowledge or judgment of right and wrong or of the facility and uh, the faculty rather and the principle within us which decides on lawfulness or unlawfulness of an action or an affection and instantly approves or condemns them. Instantly approves or condemns our actions. One writer said it this way. Our conscience takes the witness stand against me if I do wrong. And takes the witness stand for me when I do right. Amen to that. We know that to be the case. God has given all of us a conscience. And I believe it's the, soul, the soul's warning system that alerts us to right and to wrong. Remember last week we mentioned this alarm that goes out here on the, on the Hunter Road every first Wednesday of the month. It's, uh, it's the nuclear power plant. I always thought, when if it goes off, is it too late? You know, I like to know before it goes off. Can we get a warning before we get the warning? You know, a little forward notice here. Um, it doesn't happen that way, but it goes off every uh, first Wednesday of the month just to test the system. And there's a, an alert system that God places within us. If I lie, the conscience immediately sounds the warning. It immediately sounds the warning, sounds the alert. You know what it is? Guilty. <laughs> it's, it's, if there could be a sign there, a neon sign on the brain, it would say guilty, 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 guilty. You don't have to even think about that. It just automatically knows that a lie has been committed. Now, a person can ignore the conscience... And when we ignore the conscience, we silence it. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we move forward. Um, We silence the conscience. We ignore it. When we do that, we tend to no longer hear it. We can get to the place where it no longer affects us as it once did. The conscience will not always stop you from doing wrong, but it'll let you know when wrong is being done. And so we made mention last week the importance of recognizing and listening and understanding uh, the conscience that it is there as a protective uh, mechanism that God, I believe, has placed in every man. The conscience is God's given mechanism that identifies and communicates right and wrong in our lives. I believe it's part of the inner man. The inner man within each and every one of us that God places within us. It is, I believe, the conscience is the image of God stamped upon us. The image of God that God has given to every man, woman, boy, and girl. And this thing, this conscience that's God given to every man, woman, boy, and girl was given at creation. It's given at birth. Um, This is what separates us from the animal kingdom. It's the conscience. It's, it's one of the things that separates us from the animal kingdom. 
A bear does not feel bad when he seizes you in the woods and drags you into some cave and eats you alive. He doesn't feel bad about that. He just is glad that you came along for supper. He doesn't have a conscience that makes him feel bad about any of that. The conscience is just one of the distinguishing things, the distinguishing marks. Let me go here and let me open out with some batteries. Um, It's one of those things. That distinguishes us. I heard someone recently on the radio say, well, we're all just part of the animal kingdom. No, we're not. No, we're not. We're all just uh, animals in reality. And, and No, we're not. Because we're created in His image. Genesis one twenty six, And God said, let us make man in our image... And after our likeness, part of that image, I believe, is this thing called the conscience that God places within us. The conscience in man, uh, and it is what, it's proof. It's proof positive of creation, and it disproves evolution. certainly does. Our conscience will either accuse us, or it will excuse us. It will bring the verdict of guilty to us when the wrong is done or it will clear us of that guilty knowing that all is right. Paul says, I have a clear conscience for our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience. I noted last week the human conscience, I believe, is the tool that the Holy Spirit uses in our lives to convict us of sin. Look with me at John chapter number 16, please. Verse number 8. John 16 and verse number 8. I believe it's the tool that God uses to convict us of sin. John 16 and verse number 8. Speaking of the Holy Spirit here we know in the context. When He, the Holy Spirit has come, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. This reproving, this convincing, Holy Spirit convincement... Holy Spirit conviction takes place where? In the inner man. It's the making us aware of sin and it's showing us that we are sinners. Holy Spirit conviction, when this takes place, it brings about guilt within the heart. So when we understand that we are sinners, we understand that we have broken God's law, that we are guilty before God. I believe this is the work of the Holy Spirit within us. The heart becomes guilty. It is the proving or the showing and the realization of the sin that takes place through the Word of God as we learn the Word of God, as we hear the Word of God, as we are exposed to the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit working in our hearts and this brings about that conviction, that condemnation that a lost man will come to realize that will literally drive him to saving faith, if you will, that will drive him to come to know Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. Understand, a man does not get saved if he doesn't understand he's a sinner. I've heard people say that. Well, we don't, all of us do bad things, and you know, that's just the way it is, and, 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 and this kind of thing. We don't really understand sin. We leave, we leave sin and repentance out of the equation sometimes. So, uh, we don't, but people do. When they're giving the gospel, they don't deal with sin. 
And so if a man doesn't understand he's a sinner, how in the world can he understand he needs to be born again? To be brought out of that sin. So that Holy Spirit conviction brings that about to that realization of sin. It makes the heart guilty. And out of that guilty heart, that guiltiness, and showing that the verdict is that he's guilty, from that comes what? Repentance. When I understand that I've broken the law, God's law, then I am driven to repentance. Understand I'm going to pay a penalty for that. So that's to bring me to repentance toward God. So that is, I believe, the work of the Holy Spirit. Repentance is literally agreeing with God about my sin. And it's also not only agreeing with God about my sin, because, but when we do that, it's also the turning from my sin. True repentance has both. It's not one or the other. It's both sides of the same coin. Not only am I agreeing with God about what he says about my sin, because God's right, I'm not. Let every man be a liar, and God's true. So I'm agreeing with God, and when I agree with God, I am then in repentance turning from the sin, not going back to that. And so when that repentance takes place, I'm agreeing, I'm turning, and when these things are offered up, when repentance is offered up this way, then at that moment, forgiveness is given. When the repentance is offered, forgiveness is the response that God gives back to us. Repentance of our sin. When we offer up to God a guilty conscience in repentance, we receive back a cleaned conscience in forgiveness. That's the glory of the gospel message. That's the cleansing. That's the clearing that God gives us. A cleared conscience is a satisfied conscience. Satisfied. Paul was satisfied. Even though the accusations were there, he was satisfied because his conscience knew that he was right before God and with man. A cleared, satisfied conscience is a joyful thing. It's a joyful thing, for our rejoicing is this, he says. It's a pitiful thing. It's a miserable thing to have a guilty conscience. But it's a joyful thing to have a clear conscience. Amen? Nothing between us and the Lord. Paul said in Acts 24 and 16, For herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. He says, I exercise myself. Now, what does he mean by that? He's striving. The idea of exercising is striving for, striving forward, striving to achieve. Paul is saying, I'm striving, I'm always striving to have a conscience void of offense between God, before God, and with man, with both. A clear conscience is something that we are to always strive for. A lot of work at it. Uh, for when it's not clear, then there's something wrong in my heart, then that brings about the guilt in my heart. So something's not right there. So I ought to strive to have that clear conscience. Um, 
when we're not doing right, we not only strive in that way, but when we're not doing right, we need to do what's right to get the conscience clear. That's part of the striving. Do what's right to make it clear. And I believe that's repentance toward God. That brings about a clear conscience. And toward man, maybe we could say it this way, repentance toward God, reconciliation with man. Because we really can't be right with God until we're right with man. Until we're reconciled on the human level, how in the world could we be repented on the spiritual level with the Lord? Repentance toward God, reconciliation with man. Paul said, Paul had a satisfied conscience, void of offense between God and man. Listen to what, a few verses, Romans 9 and 1. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Spirit. He said, I lie not. Uh, if he had lied there, then guess what? The conscience, guilty, 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 guilty. He says, I, I lie not. I, the Holy Spirit bearing witness that this is true. 1 Timothy 1 and 5. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience. 1 Timothy 1 and 19. Holding faith and a good conscience. Clinging on, hanging on to faith and a good conscience. Uh, faith in the Word of God. Obedience to the Word of God. That's part of the faith. Obedience to the Word of God brings about and establishes and maintains that clear conscience. But he mentions out of verse number 19 of 1 Timothy, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Some people have put away a good conscience, have put away faith, put away obedience, and they've made shipwreck of the conscience. As I mentioned, Paul had a satisfied conscience, and that's where we always want to strive to be. When the Holy Spirit brings conviction, get it right and, let, and strive to keep it right. But there's another kind of conscience that the Bible speaks of. And it's here in this verse. I just mentioned it. It's talking about a conscience that's been put away. A good conscience is put away. The idea of there to be put away is to push away, to cast away, or to reject. If our conscience is biblically and right... If it's, if it's working as God intended, and it does when we have a desire to please the Lord, then it teaches us, it show us, shows us the right thing. But what we can do is we can say no to the right and say yes to the wrong. We can sear our conscience. That's what this passage is talking about. Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses one and two, First Timothy chapter four and verses one and two. First Timothy four verses one and two. A satisfied conscience, and then we see here a seared conscience. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, I believe we're living in the latter times. Do you not? In the latter times, I would go as far as saying the time in which we live. Look, if Paul said the latter times, he believed that he was living in latter times. How many years have gone by since then? Over 2,000. How much closer are we living in those times? So he says, in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Here we see a seared conscience. A seared conscience is one that 
will not or cannot listen to the truth. Verse number one out of that text says, notice there's a departing from the truth. Latter times, some shall depart. There's a departing from the faith, a departing from the truth. They've made a conscious decision to depart from it, to to push it away, to say no to it. Not only have they made that departure from the faith, but then they have now cleaved to untruth. Look again in verse number one, departing from the faith, and then In response, the next step is giving heed to seducing spirits. So they've said no to the truth and they've said yes to the untruth. They've departed from one and cleaved to the other. What are they cleaving to? Seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, lies from the world. The word seared there is to literally to cauterize, to cauterize, to render unsensitive. To render unsensitive. It's the burning of the conscience. When we say no, we continually say no to the truth of God's word. And I I think it can even happen in the matter of the gospel. We say no, we say no, we say no, we say no. And each time there's that bit of searing, that bit of, uh, of nerve ending, if you will, that no longer is able to feel. And able to hear. That conscience is seared. The nerve endings of the conscience can be cauterized over. They can be burned over so that the feeling is now dead. You've all said, we've all heard, did they have no conscience? Well, I think, yes, they were born with that conscience and God given that image stamped, but it has become seared. And it's that searing that takes place when time and time again a man will say no, will say no, will say no, will say no. The searing is seen in the person's ability to live a life of duplicity, to live a life of hypocrisy. He says out of verse number 2, speaking lies in hypocrisy. Uh, He is saying one thing and doing another or seeing one thing and with intentions of another, speaking lies. He knows he's speaking lies, but he's doing it with the intent to deceive. So that seared conscience is one that's a life of duplicity. Sounds like a politician, maybe. Kind of hard, shouldn't have said that. But I'm simply saying that can say one thing and with the intention of deceiving in order to gain favor in another. And he knows full well from the very beginning what's taking place. That seared conscience. He's speaking lies in this duplicity kind of lifestyle. This is the hardened, the stiff-necked, proud heart to the point that wrongdoing cannot be recognized in the life. Wrongdoing is not even recognized. It's not even seen. It's it's. You could just go on and it, it, does, it doesn't appear to be wrongdoing to them. We are living, I believe, in a world of seared consciences. This entire world, our nation is, we're living in a nation where I believe this is what we're seeing. We can, we can 
uh, flaunt immorality. We can abort children as though it's nothing. It's just a part of living. It's a part of uh, uh, 2021 America. No, it's not. Well, maybe it is in the American culture, but it's not God's culture that it's okay. We're living in that world where we're calling, that seared conscience is calling evil good and good evil. Jonah said with regards to Nineveh, Nineveh had 120,000 people in that great city. And he says that they could not discern between the right hand or the left hand. They couldn't see it. Can't see right from wrong. Cannot discern between the two. What is that? A seared conscience. The conscience becomes seared. As we're departing and cleaving from truth and cleaving to untruth, it becomes seared more and more each time. Truth is ignored. And it can, it can come to the point where God, God's intended warning system in our life, we no longer hear it. People can no longer hear it. And I think that's the case so often. So there's a satisfied conscience. There's a seared conscience. And I want to finish with this one. There's a sensitive conscience. And this is the thing maybe that it's just I felt like I left undone last week. That sensitive conscience. Now, it is true that, that we should all have a very sensitive conscience with regards to sin. Would you agree with me there? We should have a sensitive conscience with regards to sin. If that is simply saying that that God is convicting me and I need to turn, I need to make a change. So we should have that sensitive conscience with regards to sin. In other words, responsiveness in our conscience or to our conscience when it makes us aware of the sin or the wrongdoing. There's that responsiveness there to that. That's the right kind of sensitivity. But there's another kind of sensitivity, a negative kind, I believe, of sensitivity that many Christians struggle with and they should not. Struggle with and they should not. I mentioned earlier that the conscience is the God-given mechanism that identifies or, and communicates right and wrong. The purpose, we noted, was the purpose was so that we might be convicted and come to repentance. And God uses our conscience for good. God uses our conscience for good for us. It is to free us from the guilt. When we are convicted biblically from the word of God, out of the word of God, there's that guilt that comes. So God allows that so that we can be freed from that guilt through repentance and faith in Christ. But at the same time, the devil will use our conscience against us. And I think this is where things can take place and it's very confusing for some. Can use our conscience against us to manipulate us. The devil will manipulate our conscience to always keep us in the prison of guilt. I've known people that they're always living under a shadow of guilt, a weight of guilt. Always seems to be there. 
The same tool that is used of God to bring about repentance, the devil can manipulate and use in our lives to always keep us under the cloud of guilt. Some people never have true victory because they live in that continual guilt that they should not be living with. Understand the devil's the accuser of the brethren, is he not? Who does he accuse? He accuses you before God. We know that's biblical. He does do that. He accuses you before God. He also accuses you before others. He'll plant that thought. Did they really mean what they said? That innuendo, that thing. He'll he'll accuse you before others. But also notice, he'll accuse you to you. The devil's a... Will do that. He's a he's a master at that. He'll accuse you to you in order to keep you under the guilt. The devil will not let you forget your sin. He don't want you to forget it. Because if he can keep you under the guilt, if he can keep you under that cloud, he'll always keep you from ever going on for Christ, ever going on in victory, living for Christ. So he begins to accuse. He begins to, to, to accuse and, and continue bring about that guilt. So what do we do with that? If there is guilt, when guilt comes into our life, when it comes to our conscience, then let me, let me give, just give you a thought. Evaluate it. First of all, evaluate the guilt. How do I evaluate it? According to the word of God. Is it violating? Is there a violation of the word of God? And if it is a violation of the word of God, then get it forgiven and get it forsaken. Get it forgiven, how? Through repentance and forsaken. And once it's forgiven and forsaken, then forget it. God does. Why shouldn't we? Why should we allow the devil to have free course in our mind and in our thinking to always keep us under that cloud of guilt when God says it's been put under the blood, you're free and clear, go on and live the Christian life. Once forgiven and forsaken, forget it. Simply believe God. First John, we know the verses very well. We got to look at them though. First John chapter number 1. 1 John chapter number 1, verse number 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ. Boy, make sure we mark these, these, these few verses, these words in our Bibles. The blood of Jesus Christ. Callie just pushes away or leaves a few marks of us from all sin. Is that what your Bible says? It cleanses us. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. It's no longer there. My sins are gone. He goes on to say, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, there's repentance. What brings about that? That understanding that we have sin. Verse number 8 says, if we have no sin, this person hadn't come to the point of conviction. He can't. Repent, but once that's brought about, an understanding, agreeing with God, verse number nine, if we confess our sins, He, 
being God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And here's that word again, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's done. The devil has no dominion. He has no say-so here. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Don't let the devil rob you of the comfort of a clear conscience. Don't let him do it. When that time comes, evaluate it according to the word of God. Seek to make it right. It may be an issue with sin before God, sin with man. Seek to make those right. Get it forgiven. Get it forsaken and forget it and believe God and just move on in faith. Forgetting those things which are behind, I press towards the mark of the prize, the high calling in Christ Jesus. And yet so many times we go back and we just live under this cloud. We shouldn't. When we do this, we doubt God. It's that heart of unbelief. Believe God. Trust God. God said it. That ought to settle it. Let's press on in faith. Isn't God good? He's so good to us. We see ourselves, and I know me. Oh, my. And God forgives, and God's good, and God cleanses us. There's victory in Christ. Let's bow our hearts in prayer.